You're listening to NBS Cast with hosts Rachel Edwards and Brayton Hines. Welcome back to NBS Cast. I'm your host, Rachel, and we have our co host, Brayton, on today. Say hey, Brayton. Hey, everyone. Great to have you. And today I'm really excited because we get to talk about a topic that I have a lot of interest in, but I don't really know a lot about. And we have a very special guest on today to talk about this. We have Jen Kurtz with us. Say hey, Jen. Hi, everybody. I'm really excited to dive into this topic on change and change management with you. So before we do that, though, I would love for you to introduce yourself so we can get to know you just a little bit better. So, Jen, if you can, again, say your name so we can hear you say it, your uh, current job title and role, if you could share that with us, and then how long you've been with NBS, that would be great. Sure. My name is uh, Jen Olson Kurtz. I go by Jen Kurtz at work because Olson was too much to put in there. Um, I'm the (laughs) organizational change manager and I work in the IT um, area. And I've been with Nelnet for about two, a little over two years now. And I am super excited when people are excited about change management because I think it is a fascinating topic. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we're excited that you're here to talk about it today. I know for me, sometimes change is kind of scary and not so exciting. But if you wrap your mind about the concept of change a little bit better, then it comes a little easier. So that's what I'm excited to dive into today. Yeah, I'm pretty intrigued as well today for this discussion and uh, really diving into what a change manager is and what they do. Um, and I'm sure our audience is as well. But before we dive into what you're all about at work, um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and some of the things you enjoy doing in your downtime, Jen? Sure. Um, I'm originally from Minnesota, but I've lived kind of around different places. I moved to New- to Florida for a while and then New Zealand and then Vancouver, um, Canada, but I've recently just moved a little bit south of Vancouver back into Washington State, and I live in a little remote community here. And things that I absolutely love to do, um, I love to read. Um, mm-hmm. Rachel knows that from me joining <laughs> book clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, I love to hike. I love cooking. And I love hanging out with uh, my family and my dog. Yes, I love that. I was definitely going to say something about you being a repeat offender in book club, but we love having you. So keep doing it. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. And it sounds like you've done a lot of traveling and and living in different places. I mean, New Zealand, I bet, was absolutely beautiful. So I have a little travel slash living in different places envy from you right now, Jen. (laughs) New Zealand was absolutely beautiful. I've never seen a country so green and mm. with, I kid you not, so many sheep and uh, <laughs> such cheap lamb and mussels. Ah, so Jen, if you wouldn't mind sharing, what took you to New Zealand to live there for a bit? My husband at the time um, mm. worked in research. So he worked um, in Florida with a university working on his doctorate and, and postdoctoral studies. And then we moved to New Zealand where he took a job with a private um, research company and lived there for about four years. And one of my kids was born there. One was born just before we got there. And I had always envisioned retiring there and living there forever. But Mm. it's an awful long way from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. You know, I lived in Nebraska for a while. And even six hours was a little too far from my family for me. So (laughs) I decided I got to go back. But uh, totally understand where you're coming from there. But Let's get into what we're here to talk about today. I would love to know more about 
you and your role. So you're the organizational change manager in IT here for NBS. What does that mean? What does that look like? And what does it mean to manage change? First, I want to distinguish between um, two types of, ch- of change management and us being an IT company. When I say my role is change management, people often think IT change control. Mm. So the, the function that um, dev teams and other teams work with around changes to things mm. that I actually don't do. Um, I do the people side of change. So mm-hmm. I work with different projects and help them um, put in the processes and the communication support, et cetera, that help people ad- buy into and then adopt the change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really important distinction to make. Uh, I mean, the people side of, of change is definitely very fascinating because you've got a vast spectrum of people and their response to change. So we'll get into that here in just a little bit. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about what it means for you to facilitate or help manage the people side of change here at NBS? Yeah, um, most of the time it's me working with with project managers and people leaders, um, and both of those roles are very, very busy. Mm-hmm. And so my role is to help them look at who is the change impacting, what do we need to do to ensure that different stakeholder groups actually understand what's happening, and not just understand that, like we're rolling out a new um, software product or something, for example, but know why it's happening and what happens if we don't do it. And that sometimes are things that we forget about in, in projects because everybody is so busy. And my role is to kind of take some of that load off mm. um, in the background. My role is is not generally people-facing, employee-facing. It's kind of behind the project, planning out and designing things. And I think, you know, as the world has gotten busier and there's more and more change introduced, that one of the things that we tend to forget about is the emotional side of change. And while we don't always want to talk about emotions, the emotional side of change is what drives people's fear of change. And I think if we don't talk about that and design things to accommodate that and allow for that, then we do run into more change resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally understand that. It's interesting to hear you talk about the emotional side of change, um, even at the corporate level. But I'll be honest with you, I had never even heard of a change manager until a couple of weeks ago when Rachel told me we were going to be interviewing you. So um, what I'm curious is, is this something that's uh, becoming more and more common nowadays with companies to have this kind of organi- or, uh, organizational change manager position? Or um, is this something that's been around for a while? It's becoming more common. It used to be around a lot more um, in, in HR departments. Mm. And so see um, a change manager working with um, program development in HR when, when new programs got rolled out, doing some training, et cetera, around it, or you'd see it strictly in an IT function, which is similar to what I do. But I think it's becoming more common now, and it's becoming less scary for people. Mm. I will admit that when I first started out in change management, and I'd kind of transitioned from organizational development into change management, and when I first started and people heard that the change manager was coming, there was one of two reactions. It was usually scared because they thought I was there to try to make them change something mm-hmm. or hear jokes about, um, we're going to sit in a circle and sing Kumbaya and hold hands. <laughs> <laughs> Neither one of those things is true. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so yeah. I, have a qu- I have a more general question, Jen. Uh, why on earth do organizations change so much? 
the change to keep up with the market mm. and to improve processes. It, at Nelnet, there's a lot of focus on continuous improvement, making things better for both ourselves and for our clients, customers, and payers at NBS. And without that focus on improvement, we would lose probably market position because we're not keeping up with what competitors are doing, getting ahead of what competitors are doing, making mm. things easier for our staff to perform their jobs. All of that would have us not be as successful as Nelnet is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we really have to adapt with the times with what other companies are doing, rolling out. And innovation is a really huge topic and has been for the last several years. It's very important to be innovative and in thinking of either new products and services that we can offer or enhancing the current products and services that we offer. So like you said, it keeps up with the times, right? <laughs> so change is constant. And that's kind of a, a joke that we have around here at Nelnet and NBS. Change is constant. It's always happening. So it's better to to be adaptable when it comes to change. And people like you in roles like yours really help us do that. So I think that's really great. Yeah. And that's part of it because if we, if, if employees are not used to having a lot of change around them, it can mm-hmm. be very difficult and very mm-hmm. scary for them to have this constant motion of change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. So Jen, your position sounds really broadly involved. I kind of got a, a double-sided question here. One, do you have to know all of the kind of ins and outs of every all of the different diversified products and solutions that we have for our clients? Um, do you have to know pretty much everything about them to be able to kind of direct this change and work with our people leaders to to be able to change in the most effective way? And then secondly, what kinds of changes are these or what do they typically look like or how do you help these associates or people leaders work through these changes? That's a great question, Brayton. I think for myself, I do need to know about the products and services, um, partially because I have no credibility internally if I don't know what we're doing and how it works and what people's roles are. So I usually try to work really hard to find out, you know, what is the organization doing? What are our clients um, products that they use, what are they saying about us, that sort of thing. Not in depth, like some of the roles that would be you know, experiencing change, but enough so that when they're talking about things, I can understand what they're talking about mm-hmm. and I can anticipate how changes might impact them. If I can't do that anticipation piece, then I'm missing a huge amount of potential resistance to change. Mm-hmm. The other part of your question about, I think it was about the types of changes I work with a lot of IT changes right now Mm -hmm. because I'm in the IT department. And so it would be looking at how um, changes in in product or service development impact internal, how they impact external. Um, Sometimes it's been um, working with reorganizations, Mm. a lot of process changes. In the past, I've worked on a lot of culture projects. Mm -hmm. So it really kind of varies. Any place where somebody feels there's going to be an impact to people, there's usually a conversation about what's changing. Mm -hmm. So to follow up with that, Jen, you said that your main area of focus is in IT because that's part of your title and that's the department that you work for. But do you have other departments that reach out to you to help with change and facilitating change as well? Not so much, um, partially because of my focus on IT. Mm -hmm. I think that the change management function isn't known so well Um, Outside the area, people Mm. know that I'm working on IT projects, but there's 
there's not a lot of availability, I guess, to work on some of the other things. Mm. I have had conversations with folks, though, who have, you know, called up and said that something is happening in their area. And what do I think about this or that? And so I mm. have always, you know, provided kind of that consultation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's exactly what a leader needs is to have somebody to kind of soundboard their ideas to. Mm-hmm. What a great resource to have. Just someone you can send a message to or hop on a quick call with and say, hey, this is changing and I'm a little nervous about how my people are going to respond. How can I help them through this? I, I love that you are willing to have those kinds of consultative conversations with people around here. So I'd also like to know, Jen, what does a typical day or week look like for you? Do you have things that you do on a consistent basis? Is it pretty different based on what the change you're working on looks like? Or is there a kind of a medium in between those two? And I mean, it sounds to me like your role is very highly rooted in communicating, right? So what does that look like for you too? How much of your typical day would you say you spend communicating with the teams you work with? That's a really hard question because every day <laughs> is is actually really quite different. Ah. Um, I would say that probably maybe a third to a half of my day is involved in some sort of planning. Um, there was an afternoon last week where I spent four hours creating um, and uploading information to a stakeholder spreadsheet, mm. which sounds like it might be a, like a not so fun job, but it's one of the fundamental pieces. If we don't identify our stakeholders, mm. how do we figure out the change if we don't know who it's impacting? Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I might be working on, you know, changing communication plans, looking at different tactics, taking messages and, and conversations that I will have had with different project and people leaders and figuring out, you know, what what does the audience need to hear? How do we not how do we sell it, but how do we put it in in their terms? Oftentimes when we have resistance to change, the communication is kind of missing the mark. We're talking in one department's language, not the other. Mm. And so part of my job is to help kind of translate some of that. But then I do spend a lot of time talking with different groups, whether it's um, running, you know, facilitating workshops, doing education sessions, um, just helping communicate and sitting in other meetings and learning kind of what's going on with different areas and, and who's doing what. Mm-hmm. I'd say every day is different, but every day is uh, mostly so much fun. <laughs> well, awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. So Jen, I'm sure we have some listeners that are, you know, managing change in their own lives, either professionally or personally um, at work or whatnot. I'm curious if you might be able to consult them as well. Are there any specific methods or uh, processes or kind of tools that you use consistently to try to manage different uh, situations of change? Because I understand that they're all uh, different and require different, um, you know, methods, but is there anything that you typically use to, to manage these different kinds of change? There are, there's, there's a lot of tools and different methods out there, but I think one of the most popular methods is also one of the most similar or simple, sorry. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, from ProSci. And they are a change management research and education company and probably one of the more well-known ones um, internationally. And they have a couple of really simple frameworks and, and models. And one of them is called ADCAR, which stands for Awareness, Desire, Knowledge, Ability, and Reinforcement. Mm. And those are the five outcomes that from a change management point of view, we want impacted stakeholders to go through. So we want to make sure that they have awareness of the change. We want to make sure that they have a desire to support the change that they have knowledge of what is changing, how it impacts them, 
the ability piece is really around, do they know how to enact that change? Have we given them, if it's a, a systems or a process change, have they, have they had time to practice it? So that, you know, on go live when things change over, that they actually have spent some time working in a new system or checking out a new process. And then reinforcement, um, very important because oftentimes when projects finish, people will do something, the new thing for a while. And if it's uncomfortable or if it's taking longer because they're new at it, sometimes people go back to the old process. So we want to make sure that it doesn't happen. Um, so that's a very useful model. And, and for me, it's, it's always been helpful for project and people managers to just think of those five letters. And it also helps define what I'm doing with them and what I'm asking them to do. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of really makes sense. But some of the mm -hmm. other models are around the human element of change. So looking at, um, like there's a model from the Neural Leadership Institute called SCARF, which is around kind of our personal triggers and change, which kind of gets to the emotional side of change. And then we do talk a lot about psychological safety, um, mm -hmm. because without psych safety in a group, it's really challenging to learn new things, to innovate, and to be comfortable with each other when going through a change. Yes, I, I want to hone in on that for just a second, but I'm going to combine it with our next question here too. So Jen, can you unpack this concept of psychological safety and share what you mean by that? I know it's a term that's becoming more and more easily recognizable in our business discourse today, but just to make sure people know if they haven't heard that term or they've heard it, but don't understand it. Can you explain what psychological safety is? I can. It is that concept that in whatever setting we're talking about, so whether it be, you know, your family unit, your work team, um, a social setting or a, an affiliation that you have outside of work, it's that concept that you feel that you can be comfortable and vulnerable with the group without uh, being judged, without being excluded. Mm -hmm. And so that leads itself to being important because if I feel that I might be judged or excluded or I can't really be myself, how do I express my concerns and my needs around the change? Mm -hmm. How do I innovate if I'm worried that if I take this step, I might look silly and either get in trouble or mm -hmm. somebody is going to um, just kind of give me feedback on that I shouldn't have done that when I'm, I'm trying to innovate? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So totally understand why that is vital to have when you're having conversations around change and sharing ideas and things. I mean, you never know who's going to have that idea that's going to blow things out of the water and change everything for the better. But if they don't feel safe enough to say it, <laughs> then it just stays in their mind and it doesn't get shared and the change doesn't happen. So uh, I love that you brought up psychological safety. And to tie along with that, uh, I also want to ask it. We all know that some people are more resistant to change than others, and there are tons of reasons for that. Psychological safety might be one of them, uh, but tons of other reasons. So, Jen, what do you do or what do you suggest leaders do when you have people on their team who are a bit more resistant or slow to accept change? How do you get those people's buy-in? How do you get them on board? I think the first thing for me is is the leader's perspective. Mm. And it's kind of a, a, a joke in change management that if you don't see or hear resistance, you're not paying attention mm. because everybody has some level of resistance. It comes up in different ways. Resistance for some people may look like asking questions. Mm. It may look like not participating in a group. And so I think if we have the the perception that resistance is okay, that we should expect it and we should look for it. And I like to think of resistance as an unmet need. So mm -hmm. my 
kind of my conversations with people leaders and project leaders is to think about that need that people might have when they're going through this change. How does it impact their role? And therefore, what might their reaction be? Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that is, is part of my job, and I help them kind of get to that understanding. But if they come into it with a really open, unfrustrated position that people may not be super happy about this change, I think we forget as as leaders that we've been planning this change for a while. Mm-hmm. And so we understand it. We've got the nuances of it. We know what's going to happen. But those impacted by the change, we're just bringing them in now. So we might be halfway done with the race and they're at the start line. Mm-hmm. So what do we need to do to make them comfortable with the change? One of the questions that I have is about how you kind of measure success in a position like yours. Um, you talked about this this five-letter acronym kind of model that you uh, use to to kind of comprehensively take a look at how change is being managed at the company. Is this something that you uh, tie certain numbers and measurable metrics to to define success or is there some other method that you use we use that but we also use a couple of other things because there's there's really three levels of, of success that we can use to measure um, change management or key metrics that we can use to measure mm-hmm. change management and the first one is the degree to which the project met or exceeded its objectives mm-hmm. and we can't ever say like you know change management had all was all of that and contributed mm-hmm. you know, 100% it didn't but without change management we know we're not going to get to those objectives and so there's there's always the the project result um, kind of metrics and then there's the individual people metrics which comes into that adcar concept and mm-hmm. so we do have surveys that we can do on adcar to kind of measure it um, and then just general observations around do people look to be aware and buying into and using the new process system, et cetera. And then looking at the success of change management itself. And there are some metrics there, but I think the biggest one, if if we had to pick a single category would be looking at individuals and change Mm -hmm. and the levels of adoption and buy-in. So Jen, we've been talking a lot about how you help other teams manage change, but what are some of the changes that happen in your own role that can maybe be difficult to manage? Do you feel like there are things that come up that you have to maybe manage yourself when it comes to change? There are. And it's funny because I think lots of people will say that, you know, we love change and we're great at it until it happens to us. <laughs> oh, um, well, I felt that. I felt that yeah. so hard. <laughs> we all do. Um, I think some of the biggest changes for me over over my career have always been changes in leadership or changes mm-hmm. in roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, the changes that have happened before before Nelnet and NBS have been leadership changes. When I've been hired by one leader who really understands changes and excited about it as I am, and then they leave. Mm-hmm. And I've got a different leader who's like, oh, change management. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't really know much about that. And I don't think it's important. Mm-hmm. And then kind of spending that time to see if there's a a degree of influence that I can have on what change management is and how it can be useful in the organization. Mm. Now I'll say that's not happened here. Um, Mm. I report to Valerie Wegener and Mm. she has been super supportive in driving change um, and the change function and supporting the work that we're doing. So that's really great. Um, We've gone from a team of there's a couple of us reporting to Valerie and now there's a lot of us reporting to Valerie. Mm-hmm. And so anytime the team changes, the dynamic changes and that's, that's changed as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's been really exciting to, to meet new people and see what we're all going to do together. Mm-hmm. But it can be scary too. Cause you know, people, I don't always want to give up what I do. It's, it's fun. And you know, you got to figure out what's, what's important in a group and what you 
want to do and contribute and what um, what others' strengths are and what they're going to contribute. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much agree with that. And shout out to Valerie. You're awesome, Valerie. <laughs> she is. Well, it's awesome to hear that you really enjoy your role, Jed. Um, so the last question we've got for you today, we'll let you go after this one. Just what are some general tips that you could uh, maybe give listeners to help them be more adaptable to change either in their own personal lives or at work even? I think it's, for me, it's a lot about, you know, thinking about what do I need in the change? So if something is changing for me, what are my needs? And Mm. and not being afraid to gently go out there and get those. Mm. So if I don't understand a change or I'm feeling resistant to it, do I understand the change? And if I don't, who do I need to talk to? What information am I missing? Um, If I feel like there's feedback I could be offering, find out what, what the feedback mechanisms are that the project or the people leader is using so that I can I can share what my experience is and some things that might be important. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing your own needs and, and, and advocating them for them. Um, the other one I think is just managing our own emotional reactions mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we all have them mm-hmm. and they're totally valid, but sometimes our emotions make other people uncomfortable and just in the workplace thinking about how that might help me or hurt me um, with this change. And, and what do I need to do to make sure that my needs are met in the best way? Mm-hmm. And then my last one is always assume good intent. We work for a great organization mm-hmm. um, and sometimes changes can be scary and we're not um, scary or, or misunderstood sometimes. And I think just assuming that good intent of those around us helps me also get through change as well. Mm. Yes. Great tips to share. Thank you so much, Jen. We appreciate your time today coming on the show and talking about your role and change management in general. This has been very enlightening and helpful. So thank you so much for for talking to us today. You are very welcome. And thank you for having me. I really love talking about change management. Well, again, just a huge thank you to Jen for coming on the show today to talk about her role as an organizational change manager and talk about change management in general. It was a great conversation and I learned a lot. So thanks again, Jen. Now we get to talk about our segment topic and I'm going to let Brayton explain what we're talking about today. Brayton, what are we talking about? So Rachel, in light of your recent Lunch and Learn presentation, I believe that was just last week, about focus and attention. Today, we're going to be talking all about how to stay focused and attentive, uh, whether it's at work or you're just wanting to be productive in your personal life uh, or any of that. So let's kick it off by let's just identify the the, uh, problem that we're facing when we are lacking in attention. I'm curious for you, what is it that kind of pulls your... um, attention or focus away from working on something that's important either at work or just in your daily life what's something that consistently kind of deteriorates your focus Rachel Hmm. (laughs) lots of things for one (laughs) (laughs) Yep. and I think that's pretty common for most people but I know one thing that really bugs me is clutter if I have a lot of clutter on my desk I am so distracted by it that that's what I tend to focus on instead of the work that's in front of me. So clutter is hard, even clutter around my house. You know, we work from home most of the time. And if I know I've got a sink full of dishes that's waiting to be washed, or if there's some Mm. kind of mess in my house, that's Mm. nagging me in the back of my head. Like you need to go take care of that mess instead of doing what you're doing right now. So uh, clutter is one. Um, Another is 
some we just get interrupted a lot during our day, whether it's text messages on our phones, whether it's a chat question on Teams or an email that comes through. There are so many different things that pull those attention, uh, like that attention reserve away if we are trying to put out a fire that just came across our desk or whether it's just a question that's come through. Those are coming in a lot of different ways. So that can be very distracting and pull my focus and attention away very easily, especially if it's something I really need to concentrate on and dedicate a lot of brain power to. So I would say those are my main two. Uh, Brayton, what about you? When you're maybe sitting in class or you're working on a school project or you're working on uh, something for the culture team, what's something that pulls your attention or focus away? Uh, well, I definitely resonate with you on the point that clutter makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And as I say that, I look at a huge pile of clean laundry sitting next to my bed <laughs> waiting to get folded. So um, I'll have to be doing that later. But uh, yeah, that's a big one. That's a kind of a big reason I like going into the office is it mm-hmm. doesn't allow me to even think about things like that. It's not like I can really change if there's dirty laundry on my floor if I'm in the office. <laughs> but So that's a nice reason to go in the office. Uh, Other than that, though, I would say uh, my phone is a big one. Yeah. Um, I always turn my phone on do not disturb mode pretty much every day during the week, uh, whether I'm working on school or work projects. So that just helps me not fall into the abyss of looking (laughs) at your phone screen for pointless reasons and it just you know, fill in your brain with mindless social media content sometimes. <laughs> um, it really helps with that. Putting my phone on do not disturb. Yep. Uh, and then other things I find that like social interactions a lot are really distracting for me because I'm somebody who really likes talking to people and likes being social mm-hmm. and uh, values those kind of interactions wherever they may be. So if I'm in the office, you know, um, I know a lot of people who go in the office frequently. So maybe I get tapped on the shoulder and now I'm in a five to 10 minute conversation, which isn't uh, inherently a bad thing. You know, it's really Mm -hmm. good to have those social interactions and have people in your life. Or like if I'm at home, um, maybe one of my roommates will come to my room or I hear people just got home. So I wanted to go downstairs and see how their day went or whatever. But Mm -hmm. uh, so I'd say those are some pretty big things that kind of really impact my ability to stay focused is clutter, like you said, Mm -hmm. um, the phone. And then social, I guess, opportunities, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for you, though, how, how is it that you go about combating these distractions? Yeah, this can be tough. Um, I know one thing I really like to do specifically with the clutter is there's a concept from the Lazy Genius Way book by Kendra Adachi. And I talked about this in the Lunch and Learn last week. But she asks what's called the magic question, which is, what can I do now to make my life easier in the future? So if I know I struggle with clutter and it's a Sunday evening, like it was yesterday, and I see, ooh, you've got a few dishes in the sink that need to get done. Even if I don't feel like doing them in that moment, asking that question, what can I do now to make my life easier tomorrow or in the future? The answer is really easy. It's doing those dishes. So they're not nagging my brain while I'm trying to work Monday morning and get my to-do list organized or work on projects. So the magic question is really helpful when it comes to dealing with things like clutter. I mean, it works in any capacity, really. So, uh, But that's one thing I like to do. 
from other aspects like the the pings that we get. So, you know, chat messages coming through, email questions, other uh, kind of distracting things that pull my attention away. If I'm working on a project that's really high priority and requires a ton of my brain power and focus, I like to turn off the notifications, kind of like you with the do not disturb feature, and uh, ignore those for a set amount of time. So I block out some time and space. Um, I talked about this in the Lunch and Learn as well, but time blocking. So I dedicate a good solid maybe hour to three hours to this project so I can get into that flow state of work where things are just kind of happening and coming naturally as opposed to fighting the distraction of, oh, I got a toast notification. Someone's trying to chat with me in Teams. Oh, I heard my email noise ping. So I have an email. If I turn off those notifications, they're not pulling my attention away. And I know I'm in this nice flow state of work right now for this project. And then I can check my email when that time frame is done. So I find that really helpful to combat those distractions. And then the last thing, when it comes to the phone, sometimes I just have to put it in another room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's too convenient to pick it up and check it, even if your notifications aren't pinging. If you have it close by, uh, it's just such a temptation. So even putting it in the same room, but in a higher location so I can't see it, (laughs) that is super helpful. Um, What are some of the things that you do to combat those distractions? I know going into the office, you said is one, but what else do you do? Yeah. So I kind of mentioned a couple of them going into the Uh office um, just so that there's less that I can think about that I have to do later on in the day that I would rather do now. Um, you know, like the things you said, like washing dishes or mm-hmm. or getting some laundry done. But then, uh, yeah, do not disturb is another one. And then um, it, it kind of is similar to what you were just talked about. I thought you had a really interesting point about time blocking mm-hmm. and kind of setting aside a set amount of time to work on something where you know you're not going to have any distractions or maybe you can be really intentional about fighting those distractions in that mm-hmm. period of time. But for me, that looks like just um, focusing on one thing at a time until it's done. So Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily tie a uh, timeline to things, but more so um, figure out something that I know I can get done within the next 20 to 30 minutes and just grinding through that until it's done. Because I'm, I'm really big into being able to just like simply like check off a box on my to-do list. And if I create to-dos that are more manageable and feasible within, Mm -hmm. you know, a short time span where I don't think that I'll be become too distracted by um, other things in my environment, then I can just focus on getting one thing done at a time. And then once that's done, I can identify the next thing that I need Mm -hmm. to get done. Um, But maybe also take like a five minute break for, I don't know, going on my phone or something, texting Mm -hmm. people back. But Mm -hmm. um, that's really what it looks like for me. It sounds like we kind of have similar strategies with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But outside of just combating your distractions, what's one way that you uh, kind of just keep focus in your daily life Mm -hmm. otherwise? 
Yeah. So one thing that helps me stay focused outside of the the time blocking piece or dealing with the clutter is I am a hardcore bullet journaler and that helps me know what I need to get done, when it needs to be done by, and also helps me determine priorities. So sometimes it's really hard to prioritize and know I've got all this thing, all these things that I should be working on. What do I need to focus on first? If you take a little time to write down all of those different competing priorities or things that you need to get done and look at deadlines and timelines, that really helps you put that into perspective of knowing, okay, this should be my number one priority for right now. And then maybe this other thing that is still important, but doesn't necessarily need to be done right now, that can be my number two priority. So that can be the thing I focus on next. That's really helpful for me. And Excuse me. I've talked about this a lot, but I'm very much a pen and paper person. I've tried online tracking methods to do these things, and they are not nearly as helpful as writing it down. It's like my brain needs that neural pathway to travel from my brain down through my arm to my hand and get it on paper (laughs) for it to be able to stick for me. So uh, bullet journaling is a very big help in that regard. Um, Another tool, and I I think this will be kind of neat for uh, others who maybe struggle with okay, I know this big project, I know I need to do this, but I don't know how to break it down into useful pieces. Um, One of my friends here at work, Emma Kutra, uh, shout out to you for sharing this tool with me, but it's called Goblin Tools. And it's an app that uses AI that can help you break down a task or a big project into smaller subtasks to let you see what you need to get done. And because sometimes there's things that I forget if I'm working on a big project, like maybe I need to remodel my bathroom. This is just an example. Um, But I don't know where to start. If I put that in as my project in this app Goblin Tools, it's going to say, okay, here are all the things you need to do to get your bathroom remodeled. You probably need to contact a plumber. You probably need to contact a contractor. Um, So it will give me all of those different steps to do. And um, it depends on, uh, there's a neuro spicy feature, which I love. Uh, But it it kind of says, how granular do you want to get with your tasks? Do you want just kind of an overarching, breakdown? Or do you want to get real detailed with the different things that you'll have to do with these tasks? So you can raise or lower that meter. And I think that's a really neat tool. It's actually designed for uh, neurodivergent folks, but anyone can use this tool, especially if you tend to struggle with uh, this aspect of, well, okay, I know I need to do this, but I don't know all the small things that play into doing it. Goblin Tools is a great solution. And I believe it was only 99 cents in the iOS app store. Not sure about Android, um, but I also believe there's an online tool that you can use uh, that I don't believe you have to pay for, but I could be wrong about that. So don't quote me on that one. (laughs) Sounds really cool, actually. It is pretty Um, cool. I would recommend anybody go check it out. Could you touch a little bit more on what bullet journaling uh, actually looks like, how the process looks or how you kind of identify and prioritize different things on your list or what you're actually bullet journaling? Definitely. Um, You know, another thing that I'll say is the degree to which I bullet journal also has varied. I've done this for, I believe, six or seven years now. And sometimes I am very detailed when it comes to bullet journaling. So I might have a, a running list of all of my projects that I 
am working on or I know will be working on in the future. And then I'll have another list dedicated to each project that contains all the different things that need to get done to make sure that project is completed to the best of my abilities. And so then I can further break that down and look at my upcoming weeks to plan out, all right, these tasks for this project need to go in these weeks and these tasks for this project need to go in these weeks as well. So it helps me map out those different pieces to know, again, when things need to get done. And also when I'm looking at those different things, I can prioritize based on that. So if a project that I'm working on, hey, I need to get this done by the end of the month. (laughs) So it's all ready to go. And then I have another project that I'm working on that needs to be done by summertime. I know I don't necessarily need to prioritize those tasks for the project that needs to be done by summer, as opposed to the tasks that need to be done for my project at the end of the month. So writing it all down like that and getting that bird's eye view of what's coming and how many things or what things need to get done, that definitely helps me with the prioritization side. And then sometimes I kind of back off on my bullet journaling a little bit because I'll be honest, it can be a bit overwhelming at times to have all of those running lists. So sometimes mm-hmm. I just use it to focus on the week. So what does my week look like? And what with the projects I'm working on, what are the things that need to get done this week to make sure I'm advancing the needle on those specific projects? And that's kind of how I'm using it right now. Um, so it varies for me, but at the same token, I think it can be a useful capacity. Like it depends on how granular you want to get with things. So if you're okay with a more bird's eye view, that's fine. If you want a more detailed view, you can get more detailed with it. I think the important thing is not to get so caught up in the, the, like how you do it as it's what works for you. So Brayton, what are some methods or tools that you use to help you stay focused? Uh, I'll tell you about one that I learned recently, actually, in one of my entrepreneurship classes at school. It's an acronym, and it, it's called GEPO. GEPO stands for Good Enough Push Onward. Um, <laughs> this is something that really resonate with me when I learned about it, because I feel like I'm somebody whose focus can be easily broken when I tend to focus too much on a task that might not take as much effort or time than I'm putting in, but I'm putting in that time and effort because I want to try and make it perfect or try and find the most efficient way of doing something because I think I might have to replicate it. Um, When really, you know, if something's good enough, you can push onward. Mm -hmm. And this kind of goes back to what might be considered a little bit of a corporate buzzword, but MVP or minimum viable product, Mm -hmm. just just kind of having that mental framework of okay, um, if I've got all these things on my checklist for the day, I don't need to spend hours doing this one thing when I've got eight other things. So if if I get good enough at this one thing, or if I get an MVP in this specific area, then um, I can just push on to my next task. So uh, I was really happy that I learned that a couple weeks ago, because mm-hmm. I've really been able to kind of think about that a lot. Um, whenever I might be feeling stuck with trying to strategize too much about some specific project or task that I have to do. I just got to think more so about GEPO. <laughs> and I like <laughs> it that it's kind of a funny word too, because um, it really sticks in your brain. But mm-hmm. I would say that's that's the one that sticks out to me, a, a good method or tool that I've been using recently 
to kind of keep my own personal focus. Yeah. Uh, last question in today's segment. I want to know, how do you keep yourself accountable on your focusing goals? So not just how do you focus, but how do you, uh, you were talking about the list that you make when you're bullet mm-hmm. journaling and uh, the kind of segmented goals you set for yourself, either within the day or the week. Mm-hmm. And it can be, it's impossible to focus for the entire week, you know? Uh, So how do you kind of keep yourself accountable at, um, you know, focusing at the right times during the week to achieve those goals that you've set for yourself? Yeah. Um, Well, I think my lists really help me in that capacity because I'm a box checker. I want to see things Mm -hmm. completed and get that visual of you did this. You can check this off your list. So that helps keep me accountable. My goal at the end of each week is to have all of my to do's checked off unless I... I, f- I physically can't do it. Like if I'm waiting on a response from someone else and I don't want to be that person who just keeps circling back and circling back and being annoying about it. Right. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure to give them enough time to think and respond properly. Um, but if it's, it's something that's in my control, then I want to make sure I check that off at the end of the week. So that is a huge motivator for me to get all of my check marks on my list. Um, but also just sharing with people what my priorities are, what my plans are, and um, knowing when to say no is also really big. Um, That keeps Mm -hmm. me accountable to the things I've already committed to, knowing I can't take on one more thing. So um, I know that that helps. But then sharing what I want to get done with others and giving them the freedom and space to say, Hey, you said you wanted to get this done week uh, this week, Rachel. How's that going mm-hmm. for you? <laughs> and then being honest with, oh, it's going great or oh, it's really not going so great. I've been really distracted. Um, that definitely helps is, is having someone else hold you accountable to those things and ask you about it, not in a threatening way, but just in a, hey, I care about you. So I want to check in with you on this. That really helps. Um, how about you, Brayton? What keeps you accountable to make sure you stay focused? Well, that's a huge one. And that's kind of a life hack for anybody out there who might be struggling to remain accountable in any regard of life. I would say just telling somebody about your goals or aspirations or something that you or saying, hey, I'm going to do this, whether it's in two weeks or a year, whatnot. I found that that can really um, help you maintain your own personal accountability if you know, oh, crap, maybe my friend's going to be asking me how I did on this. I haven't even started. (laughs) I got to kind of get a start. Uh, Funny enough, I actually have a roommate who um, it's, he does it in an ironic way, but he'll say, did you accomplish your smart goals today? (laughs) Like whenever I see him later on in the day, I think it's funny, but um, if I didn't accomplish my smart goals today, I'll be like, I actually didn't. But um, (laughs) other than that, things that help me stay uh, accountable Kind of like you said, um, just like writing down every little minuscule thing that I want to get done that day. Mm -hmm. And then for me, it comes down to prioritizing things for that day, um, things that I need to get done, things that I'd like to get done. And then what I call side missions on my little piece of paper that kind of journals out my day. But Mm -hmm. um, really uh, being smart about identifying them in the right categories, I think is important because mm-hmm. a lot of times I'll write down more things than I can get done in the day. And then at the end of the day, 
I see like, oh, I've only checked off like six out of like 14 things. Mm -hmm. And then I feel less accomplished about myself when realistically, maybe I only had to really get six things done. And those were um, kind of the key items in my day. Mm -hmm. And um, it would give me uh, make me feel better about it if I had only put on the things that were absolute priorities. Mm -hmm. So I think just identifying what things are side missions and what things are kind of main quests is really uh, <laughs> how I go about keeping myself accountable and uh, keeping myself motivated too in that way and being able to actually accomplish all my goals for the day. Yeah, I, I love that. the This idea of like a main mission and a side quest or um, <laughs> I mean, maybe if people think a little differently, maybe it's the must have and the nice to have, right? Like I have to do these things today or this week. And it would be really great if I could also get these things done, but they're not priority one. Just separating those two into those two categories, I think that would definitely help you feel more accomplished by the end of the day or the end of your week because it's like I got my must-haves done my nice-to-haves didn't get touched but I know I did what I needed to do to move the needle forward on all the things that are really important to me so I like that because you're still capturing both of those things but mm -hmm. it's giving you a visual representation of my must-haves or my full missions <laughs> my main missions they are complete so Mm -hmm. And maybe you push off all your side missions to Saturday or Sunday. And, yeah. you know, Sunday is a perfect day for that. So love that life admin day. I talked about that in the lunch and learn <laughs> as well. <laughs> Well, again, I just want to say this has been a fun conversation about productivity, and I'm a productivity-focused junkie. I love talking about and learning new concepts about productivity and focus. So, uh, Brayton, this has been a great conversation between the two of us. But I also want to say thank you to Jen again for coming on the show and talking about organizational change and change management. I think that conversation was also great, and I learned a lot, as I said before, and hopefully our listeners learned a lot as well. And speaking of our listeners. I also want to say a quick thank you to you all for listening. We really appreciate it. It helps us out a lot and we will definitely be catching you in the next episode.